And here's our friend Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Karen. Good morning, everyone. I have uh, I've subscribed to the New Yorker since I was like 17. It's one of my favorite magazines, and I renewed it here in uh, oh gosh September probably. And you know, about every day I get something. Reinstate your expired subscription, <laughs> and I've been getting two issues for uh, since September now. So I, I don't know what's going on. I, I appreciate I give it to somebody else, but I, I emailed them a couple of times. And you know the things you get in email. I don't think anybody ever sees those when you email them back. So I I always, you know, being a, a frugal farm kid, I always think, hey, you shouldn't be sending me two issues every month. And I, I, I can't, I can only read one of them. So, so that's my, uh, my only concern of the, the day, I guess, really. Well, so, then, um, Al, should I be concerned too? Because all of a sudden, you know, KMSU, we get the free press at our, in our mailbox. Now, all of a sudden, I started getting the Wall Street Journal, and we didn't order it. So now I'm getting the Free Press and the Wall Street Journal. So, well, cool. See, so maybe it's a like the companies are going, hey, let's just give out some extra papers. I I do like the Wall Street Journal. They have some great writing in there. I yeah. growl a little bit once in a while on <laughs> some of their opinion pieces, but that's what they're for right. to make people like me growl about it and say, "What are you crazy?" So, I I want to thank the Mower County horticultural society for allowing me to speak to them a wonderful group and also the early bird investment club who celebrated their 76th birthday of, uh, of investing so it was fun to talk to both of those boy the yard here there is a lot of scurrying going on it it must be the squirrel series here because <laughs> they're just everywhere and chickadees Oh, my goodness, they were so busy in that endless pursuit of food this morning, and I just thought, boy, birds make my life a little tweeter. The first fall, I got a couple emails from folks saying, when did you first see a dark-eyed junco in your yard? October 8th was the first day that I noticed one. Now, you know, I was gone a couple of days, so it's possible they could have been here before that, but October 8th. Uh, again, the junco, it's a type of sparrow that is mostly gray with a white belly, has white outer tail feathers that flash when it flies, has a pink bill, and they're nicknamed uh, snowbirds because soon after they arrive, we can expect our first snowfall. And they do nest uh, uh, north of us, but some of them, the southernmost of those that nest there, are in uh, northeastern Minnesota. So we do have some here. And, and it's fun. the other day, I was uh, trying to find somebody who would put up with me for 15 minutes in a city, so because I had a little time between things. And it's funny how you think about people where all of a sudden some just flashes in your brain and you say boy i haven't thought about him for a long time i thought about rudy hansen uh, of albert lee uh, he was a butter maker he was a teacher he was a lawyer and he was a state senator so he went from butter maker to state senator and some might say well more of an advancement would have been the other way but i he was a, he was a good guy he was a voracious reader and i never saw him without a book he loved watching the birds and the squirrels and he died in 2002 i want to say he was 99 years old i know when he passed away but he was still reading books and watching birds and for some reason that just kind of made me 
feel good oh. remembering Rudy. Uh, Celeste Krauss, uh, she works now at Casa Zamora and Albert Lee, and she's uh, just one of those wonderful waitresses that not only brings you a meal, but she brings you a smile as well. And she said, I always listen to Karen Wright. So uh, Celeste is just, she's a, a wonderful gal. Uh, Sue Steele of Albert Lee said she had sandhill cranes with two colts right near her place this year. Neil Opseth of Albert Lee saw some trumpeter swans flying over his house. Uh, Chad Hines said, with the passage of the weekend, we have reached the midpoint of our raptor counting season. The diversity of migratory raptors decreases as the prey base decreases. That makes sense. So if uh, the you know I like these uh, long johns they're cream filled and they I don't have them very often cuz you, know, you just probably shouldn't have these very often but you know when the bakery runs out of them my um, my interest there decreases a little <laughs> bit so it's the same with raptors uh, Chad says, I saw a few sharp shins hunting woodland edges for sparrows yesterday but most of their warbler prey is left for South America We'll see some chasing after the red tails into November, but we will likely not see 100 or more days again. Sunday we had what was likely our last broadwing hawk and our first red-shouldered hawk of the season. Jim Amundsen had an American goshawk. Now, if you look that up in your field guides, there's a pretty good chance you won't find an American goshawk. It was formerly known as the Northern Goshawk, and Jim saw it hunting along the ridgeline at Bethany on Saturday. Two species will make up the bulk of the migrants from here on out. We average 856 red-tailed hawks over the last 10 years. We currently are at 179. We average 1,475 bald eagles over the last 10 years, and we have 129 so far this year. I know we will have many more of those. Now is the time when we start keeping an eye out for a golden eagle, rough-legged hawk, and our second record of ferruginous hawks. Hmm. Until the snow starts falling up north, the red tails and rough legs will still be able to find food readily and may not feel rushed. So thanks, Chad. Appreciate all you and Jim and all the others are doing out there on those counts. They're interesting. Um, the rough-legged hawk is called a rough leg because it has uh, feathered legs. And when I was a kid, we called them Christmas hawks because it seemed like we usually saw them around Christmas. But I know a lot of times it was before that, but maybe we only looked at them, looked for them around Christmas. Uh, Cindy Drill of North Mankato said juncos have been in the Mankato area for a week. A few white-throated sparrows have been spotted and heard on our morning walks. Red-winged blackbirds are gathering again in the cattails by Spring Lake in North Mankato. I was at State Line Lake oh, near the Iowa border. It'd be Emmons is the city by it. There were so many grackles and red-winged blackbirds. The noise they were making was deafening. It was hard to find a tree there that did not have a uh, congregation of those birds. And it, 
It was, it's neat to see and hear them because uh, a lot of our yards have grown kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. And these guys, it was right at dusk, so they were probably still discussing who was going to sleep where and who gets the best perch. Uh, John Beale of Medford sent me a photo of, well, his neighbor hunts deer. And each year he gives John a rib cage of a deer, and John hangs it in his yard for the chickadees and woodpeckers to feed on. He said they just they just love it. I've uh, also found that blue jays are pretty fond of them. A listener says, "What do woolly bear caterpillars eat?" Hmm. Uh, woolly bears are those cute kind of brown and black guys that we'll see shooting across just going lickety-split across a highway. And I've seen them on a road, and I pick them up, and they curl up in a little ball when you pick them up. And I put them back on the side that they just came from to see if they'll turn around and go the other way. No, they go right back the same direction they were headed for. So then I had to carry it across the road because they didn't want to get run over. But I've done that several times, and they know where they're headed. Uh, We don't know why, but... They feed on, boy, you name it, I guess, dandelion, dock, asters, uh, goldenrod, nettles, lamb's quarters, burdock, uh, what else, violet, plantain, uh, clovers. They will feed on some trees, birches, elms, and maples, and then certain grasses. And they overwinter under bark or inside cavities of rocks or logs. And when spring arrives, woolly worms spin these fuzzy cocoons and transfer and transform inside them into full-grown Isabella tiger moths. Uh, a listener says, "When do uh, a listener asks when do loons leave?" You know, plants and animals, you think about humans, we fall in this too. Plants and animals, you have to respond to seasonal changes. You can't just say, well, winter's coming, tough hop. I'm not doing anything about it. You know, you got to get your furnace running. you got to get out your winter clothing, your winter boots. you got to do stuff, uh, maybe do some things with your car, throw in a winter safety kit into the trunk, or maybe you got to book those tickets to fly to Texas or Florida or somewhere like Arizona. Well, biologists often summarize the changes with the acronym MAD, M-A-D. So you move, you adapt, or you die. (laughs) And adult loons typically leave the state in early October, and then they head. Do they go right south? No. They go to Lake Michigan. And why do they go there? Well, apparently it's a loon convention. They gather with other loons from Canada and the upper Midwest. And for 28 days on this great lake, they feast on small fish and just discuss stuff, I'm guessing, before heading to their wintering grounds on the Gulf of Mexico or Florida's Atlantic coast. Where are the young ones? They're still back here. The young ones of this year, they're here yet. Uh, they stay longer. Why? Because they practice the Minnesota goodbye. You all know how that is. It's just hard for Minnesotans <laughs> to say goodbye. We always have, oh, yeah, and one last thing, and please tell Aunt Ruth I love her, that sort of thing. And it's amazing because nobody teaches these young loons how to fly. 
nobody that mom and dad aren't there and saying, no, no, here's how you do it. Now watch me this time. No, I suppose they watch their parents, but nobody really teaches them how to fly. Yet they fly straight for southern Florida in November. So they leave in November, the adults in October. Uh, the young ones do not go to Lake Michigan, uh, at least in any numbers, before they head south. So they just they get out of here because they got to get out. November, you know, can be kind of a, a tough time for flying, whether you're flying in a, a little plane or, or as a bird. Uh, what state has the most deer? I was uh, talking to uh, the the person that asked me that was having an argument with a brother-in-law because that's what brother-in-laws <laughs> are for. They're, that's why we have them to argue with. Because you you know I'm a brother-in-law and we're all dunderheads, so that's what it's all about. What state? These two were saying one said Wisconsin has the most deer of any state in in, in the United States. They have the most deer, and we're talking white-tailed deer here. And the other one says, no, I think Minnesota has passed them. Mm. And and then they looked at me, you know, and that's when people ask you a question. You think there's no way I'm going to win this argument because no matter what I say, they'll both think, oh, what an idiot he is. But Texas has an estimated really? white-tailed deer population exceeding 3 million wild deer. And if we threw captive deer included in there. Texas has more than 5 million deer. That's right. They have 2 million captive deer. So they have 5 million. They are number one, or 3 million. Let's that's, that's not give them the captive deer. 3 million wild deer. So they're number one. And then other states are Michigan has 1.7 million, Alabama 1.7 million, Mississippi 1.7 million, Missouri 1.4, and then Wisconsin 1.3, Pennsylvania has 1.3, North Carolina 1.3, and then there are four states with around 1 million. Minnesota, I see sometimes the estimates say, well, we have 950,000 or something, but we can be up around a million. And also Arkansas, Georgia, and Kentucky have See, one million. I would have thought we would have been higher. Just for some reason, I thought we had a lot of more deer than... Uh, but Texas, I can see, because they're really big. So, you know, if Texas was the size of Minnesota, I wonder if they would be similar. Yeah, Texas just has so much of everything, it seems. And <laughs> okay. every kind of animal there is, somebody has determined they're going to raise them down there. So... We were down there one year, and uh, is it an oryx? It's like a huge antelope, and saw one running around, and I thought, you know, that's that's just not normal seeing that here, but it had escaped from a game farm. Uh Uh, Deer, again, folks, uh, I think you all know this, they're crepuscular, so just be real watchful for them at the shoulders of the day. And they're pretty well-behaved sometimes now because you see the the uh, the dole with last year's fawn they're kind of waiting by the side of the road they're looking both ways but you know before too long they'll be in rut and everything and chasing each other around and then they no longer stop and look both ways and say is it safe to cross they'll just be running across and also uh 
a little bit when the combines are out in the field chasing them around, uh, not intentionally. They're just uh, out in cornfields and stuff. So that will kick them out on the road and make them less likely to uh, pay attention to what they're doing there. And uh, so... uh, Boy, you know, this it's very important this time of year to put down those phones, and uh, it is at all times of year, but maybe especially so now because um, deer aren't talking on phones, but they are distracted runners as they run across the road. So please be careful. We need all of you. Uh, uh, a text from a listener said, Why do some owls have ear tufts like great horned owls? Yeah, it's pretty cool. We see them around here. Great horned owls and screech owls um, have the tufts. Uh, I think there's around 225 owl species. I think I'm fairly close on that. And about in the world, and 50 probably have feathered ear tufts, and they're called plumicorns. And they aren't, the one thing we can say for sure, they're not used for hearing and we say, well, I can say that for sure. I better not say that for sure because some weird thing might be going on with one of those ear tufts. The exact function, as humans, we can say, we don't know. It's uncertain. But, boy, we have theories galore. Is there anything we have more of than opinions? And maybe theories. We have a <laughs> lot of theories. And they may be for camouflage. So I said, why? Ear tufts? What in the world would be? Why would that be? How could that possibly be camouflage? Well, if you're a roosting owl and you're in, you're just roosting and perched in a tree, you can blend into a tree by breaking up the owl's shape. So maybe it looks like an owl and all of a sudden they got those ear tufts. Maybe that just makes it look like, well, that's doesn't even look like an owl. It looks more like a broken branch. And I have seen particularly screech owls, which are tiny little birds. They just blend right in. They look like bark. You can't tell they're there or a broken branch. The tusks could certainly be used for com- communications. And I, I know they are almost certainly used for this with others of its species. So one great horned owl can meet up with another one so they could use it for courtship, recognition the ears could go up and say boy i know you uh they could display aggression or territorial behavior so i i'm certain that those tufts are used in those perhaps the presence of ear tufts gives an owl the look of a mammal is what a lot of people uh, conjecture from folks and it makes the owl appear more menacing to mammalian predators so if a raccoon's messing with you, you throw up those ear tufts, and they say, well, I don't know if I want to mess with this thing. But I would say if that, if that's true, why wouldn't all owls have plumicorns? You'd think they'd all want ear tufts. As an aside, it still amazes me that great horned owls begin nesting in January and February. January and February. Just you just you think if you're a bird, the one time of the year I don't want to nest, lay eggs, is probably uh, December, January, and February. Those three months. I, I wouldn't want to do that unless I was in Texas or somewhere. <laughs> I wouldn't want to do it certainly in Minnesota. And they begin nesting in Minnesota in January or February. Uh, I was getting, uh, I was, you know, I said I was getting some sunflower seeds, but I wasn't. I was considering getting some sunflower <laughs> 
seeds, and then things got away from me, and I didn't make it to uh, my, the place where I buy sunflower seeds. But I was talking to somebody about getting sunflower seeds, so that is one of the first one of the first things you do when you get sunflower seeds. First, you think of it, and then you talk to somebody, and then you go get them. You have to do it. It's a three part thing. And said, "Why are they so high?" Uh, well, you know, somebody might say, "Well, everything is high." But there are sunflower seeds, there's three main reasons, I guess, why sunflower seeds are high now. Um, what states raise the most sunflowers? North Dakota, I believe, is still the largest producer of sunflowers in the U.S. That was in 2022, so I wouldn't have anything from 2023, but followed by South Dakota and Minnesota. So we're kind of in the sunflower belt here. Uh, Russia and the Ukraine are two countries that grow the most sunflowers, but why are they high here if they're grown kind of locally? Well, you know, the war in, in the Ukraine, they're, again, a major exporter of sunflower products. So that's made a difference. Increased shopping or shipping costs. So shipping costs, freight costs, they're higher. Uh, seeds, a lot of the seeds now are being planted for the production of sunflower oil. It's used as a frying oil in food, so that's taken some of the bird seed away. Uh, some farmers have found that they're able to make more money by devoting sunflower acres to other crops like corn. So uh, they're going to say, well, I, I've grown sunflower seeds for 20 years, but I'm going to raise corn now. Can okay, I just make more money? And, of course, the number one reason is that baseball players are eating way too many sunflower seeds. If you watch <laughs> any, any baseball games, they're forever spitting out sunflowers or putting sunflowers in. How, how did that so, happen to start anyway? I'm just wondering about the sun. You know, they used to do snooze, and that's not a good thing. But how did then sunflowers become a substitute is what I want to know. You know, I have no idea. Oh, okay. I played, I played baseball and softball, and I tried the... Uh, Oh, the first time uh, our first baseman came over and said, you're going to be a ball player, you should try this. And it was, I don't know, it was a plug of tobacco. Um, it, it, I took too big a piece because, you know, it was, I thought it was a manly thing to do, but that big, <laughs> oh, my gosh. I My whole body turned to saliva. It just, oh. and uh, it was not uh, pleasant experience so a lot of players used uh, uh, beech nut or red man which was the uh, loose stuff that came in a pouch and then some use those tiny little pouches uh, we were in a store last night a convenience store and i see they're still selling those little pouches and then some use copenhagen which was the real fine stuff that got and i tried that too once and got on your tongue and was just nasty and I, I think I probably went to sunflower seeds because I couldn't handle tobacco, and maybe that was the case with a lot of them. And it made your uh, mouth look gross, too, because you'd ever see somebody with the, the teeth and then the brown... Ugh. Anyway. <laughs> our, our second baseman slid into second, or as Dizzy Dean would say, slid into second in the good old days, and he would um, take his tobacco, and then he'd wrap bubble gum around it. Ew. 
so kind of keeping in the ball, and he was a really good player from Wasika. And he slid into second, and on the slide he hit something wrong, and he swallowed it. Oh, yuck. So we had to put in a replacement second baseman. He was in no uh, no shape to continue playing. So, so you learn a lot, I guess, watching things like that happen, and plus guys, when they chew that, it kind of drips and stuff, so you have... You know, it's just, and they're spitting, and you're stepping in it. And so I think maybe it was just a uh, a friendlier conversion to sunflower seeds where he just said, man, these things aren't really bad for us. And uh, you still have to step in these huge piles of the hulls of them. But it's just, it's a friendlier and not such a messy thing. So I would guess that would be the reason. But, boy, I don't know for sure. Yeah. But it's it's working for those sunflower companies whoever uh, whoever came up with that idea because man they use them and I have even seen some uh, football players using them I don't know oh. that they use them during the game but while they're uh, you know when the defense goes in and the offense comes out I've seen a, a few of them put some in there and why wouldn't they you know I guess you just want to make sure you spit them out before you got hit and <laughs> you know I'd swallow those too so. But uh, sunflower seeds are good. Yeah. I, I don't. The salt, I, I like chew. them salty. I don't like plain ones, honestly. I like the salty ones. So it's probably the salt. Yeah, I, I would guess, yeah, you, that's probably a great point in that why we use them over tobacco because people love love salt. You know, I, I, I was looking at these things. They had a big sign, these little pouches. And I looked at the price of uh, cigarettes they had up there per pack. I guess I'd never really seen the prices. Uh, Marlboros were, I think, $10.93 a pack. You know, thank the Lord I never got the hang of it. I sure tried because it was (laughs) part of growing up as you needed to smoke cigarettes and drink coffee and just look cool doing it. And I I just never liked them. And, oh, man, I looked at that and said, I'm really glad I I never got the hang of it. You know, I just Do you know what our dad said to discourage us from from doing that? He says, if you want to smoke, you smoke right in front of me. He says, because this is what he did as a kid. He took some, they took some dried pine needles and they wrapped toilet paper around it and they tried to smoke it. And he said, that cured me. (laughs) Oh, gosh. (laughs) And then for the, for alcohol to uh, cure us of wanting to drink alcohol, because they didn't drink and stuff, we'd go, we were in the barn and we had a harvester, high moisture corn uh, silo and so it had you know really good corn and the corn smelled really good but sometimes it would fall on the the floor and it would get started to ferment and stuff and he goes he says if you want to do alcohol he says you eat some of this here down this corn down here because you look up fermented and it means spoiled and rotten and that's exactly what it is spoiled and vermont fermented grains and so that pretty much cleared oh. me of wanting to drink or smoke so that's work from from my dad Dads have a lot of great <laughs> advice. The lady told me the other day that her father had told her it, it's a lot cheaper to fill up a half a tank of gas than an empty tank. So, you know, she shouldn't, if she ran out of gas, it'd be pretty pretty expensive. So, hey, uh, thanks, everybody, uh, for sitting on the front porch with Karen and me. I, As I mentioned, I went to this early bird investment club and spoke to them at their uh, 76th anniversary. And I thought about 
you know, they talked about financial advisors and all these kind of things. And I thought, man, my boyhood financial advisors were any enterprise selling baseball cards. Uh, I'd earn a little moolah walking beans for the neighbors, and despite my father's suggestion that I put it in the bank, I invested it. For a nickel, I could buy a pack of six, as I recollect, tops baseball cards with a stick of lousy bubble gum included. And I'd rush out of the store to find the nearest steps or curb to sit on, and I'd begin opening the wax paper covering the cards. There was a TV commercial. I bet everybody remembers that for Heinz Ketchup. It featured the anticipation song by Carly Simon. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. No ketchup could come close to the anticipation of discovering the identity of the player cards hidden inside that wax paper. Part of that ad had said it's a slow good. That's what I hoped for from the pack. But first, I'd offered a wish and a prayer that the cards would be a wouldn't be a catcher named Hobie Landreth, a pitcher named Turk Lown, or another pitcher named Don Mossy. It wasn't because they were poor players. It was because I got their cards every time. Instead of getting a Mickey Mantle or a Sandy Colfax, I'd get another Don Mossy. I believed I'd cornered the market on Don Mossy cards. <laughs> What happened to all those duplicates? Some became pawns in a game of card flipping. From a standing position, the first player took a card and with a flip of the wrist, let it drop to the floor where it landed heads, the picture, or tails, statistics. If both cards were heads or tails, player number two won both cards. If they didn't match, the cards went to player number one. Doubles were made for clipping with clothespins to the spokes of a bicycle to make an engine sound. It, it sounded more like a roulette wheel, but still it was pretty cool. And Don Mossy became one of my prime spokesmen. So maybe he was my financial advisor. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, for listening. Al, um, before you go, yeah. I sent you an email of a cover of a magazine that Ms. Lona sent to me saying, ask Al, what is this animal on this cover? And it's a, it looks like it's a National Geographic kids magazine. And it looks sort of like a squirrel and a groundhog and a, I don't know what it is. So did you get that? And then if you know what that is. I did. What is, what is that? I don't know. Oh, well, see, you stumped out. I can't out. see the ears very well because it has a special offer. <laughs> see inside for details over the top part. It almost looks like a little marsupial of some kind, but whether it is or not, I don't know. I'm probably way off. So I'm sorry, Lona. And I know the other one on there is an elephant. Oh. <laughs> and, that down. and then Jeff in Janesville says, Tell Al, Jeff in Janesville saw a doe in last year, a fawn, standing in the ditch next to Maple River, just as you're getting into Good Thunder, and it was just at twilight, but being a Minnesotan, I started watching them especially this time of year and when we get closer to deer hunting season you really need to watch these ditches and the sides of the road true and you're a good man jeff and finally jennifer our friend jennifer says hello ma'am please ask the bird guy about migrators if there was food and water available could anything migrating bird survive here all winter thank you jennifer yeah they sure could and we do see on occasion uh, there was a, a Baltimore Oriole that spent the winter in Lesseur uh, maybe two years ago. 
every so often we'll see, well, of course, robins. We see a lot of them every winter. Uh, bluebirds sometimes will stay here. Uh, we'll, on occasion, I'll see a red-headed woodpecker. So there are some that they're capable of staying here, but it's just a lot easier. I think of turkey vultures, they could stay here. Uh, they could take the cold and everything, but it would be hard for them to get food out from fo- frozen carcasses because their bills and their their talons and their feet just aren't strong enough so jennifer you bet a lot of them could stay here uh some maybe are, will stay a little longer if the weather's nicer uh in the fall they're not in such a big hurry to get out of here so again if they have food they can take a lot of a lot of weather all right thanks al it's always great to chat with you we'll talk to you next week All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.